Nick Vespi and Bruce Zimmerman were both lefties who certainly contributed at the big leagues for the Orioles at times this season. But both guys also spent significant time in AAA. So today we try and answer the question, will either of them have a role on the 2023 Baltimore Orioles? We'll talk about that and more coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles. Your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, November 9th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we continue our 2022 Baltimore Orioles player season review series. We're looking back at two left-handers for the O's. Now, neither guy, Nick Vespi or Bruce Zimmerman, spent the entire year in the big leagues with the Orioles. In fact, both of them probably spent a little more time in the minor leagues. However, each did have success and some rough patches at the major league level. So we're basically going to figure out what made them tick, what didn't, and can they carve out a role with the Orioles next season as the pitching staff gets better and better. So let's start with Nick Vespi, because overall, by the end of the year, he's probably in a better standing on this Orioles roster than Zimmerman is. And that's because Vespi at least had a role down the stretch in September as the Orioles were fighting for a wild card spot. Now, there was a chance that Nick Vespi wasn't even going to be on this Orioles team this year. If you remember back to last offseason. Vespi was a guy who, you know, he was slow to put it all together. H- had pitched a year at junior college, and then the Orioles took him in the 18th round all the way back in the 2015 MLB draft. It took him a while to get to the big leagues. Seven years later, he finally got to the bigs, but, you know, he was, uh, you know, middle of the Dan Duquette era draft pick and, and you know, was pitching through the low minor leagues and then finally had just great success at double A last year. Then the Orioles sent him up to triple A. He got injured. He just wasn't the same when he came back, but he still had great strikeout-to-walk numbers at the AAA level, despite an inflated ERA. So you saw those numbers. He was elite in AA, still striking guys out at AAA. You know, he was about to be 26 years old, and he was Rule 5 eligible, and you were looking at the stuff from a left-hander who'd get lefties and righties out, and you thought, you know, if the Orioles don't protect him from the Rule 5 draft, he's probably going to get picked. I think most people were in agreement that Vespi was going to go. And the Orioles decided not to protect him on the 40-man roster. They actually chose another reliever in Logan Gillespie over him. We were kind of puzzled because Gillespie was just kind of a, a minor league free agent that the Orioles had picked up you know, after uh, falling off with the Brewers' low minor leagues earlier in that year. And I really couldn't understand why Gillespie was the guy. But then the lockout comes. They cancel the Rule 5 draft, and the Orioles are able to hold on to Vespi. And after starting the season in AAA... He makes his MLB debut with the Orioles in 2022. He gets called up in May and on May 20th pitches and just kind of continues to be a steady force in the Orioles bullpen. Was never really a high leverage guy at all, but got them outs. He started his career with four straight scoreless appearances. Eight of his first nine appearances were scoreless. The only one that wasn't was him allowing one run. And then fast forward to June 29th in Seattle, a series where the Orioles lost two of three to the Mariners. Starter goes out early. Nick Vespi, the first one out of the bullpen early in the game. 
and he just gets clobbered. Allows six earned runs and only records one out in that relief appearance. And so you're looking at him and you're going, well, this isn't good. He, he took about 10 days where he didn't pitch basically after that. But then he pulled it back together. And, you know, he never really had a bad month throughout the season despite continuing to go up and down. I mean, you know, they, they implemented the new rule this year where you could only be optioned down to AAA five times in one season. The Orioles basically maxed that out with Nick Vespi this year. That was the one guy that was basically the leader of the Norfolk shuttle this year. You know, was back and forth whenever the Orioles needed an extra arm in the bullpen. He, at times, was the fringe guy who was the odd man out. And at other times, he was kind of set as the final bullpen piece. He would go back and forth, and that's why he'd get optioned and then get called up again. But when he was in the bigs, again, never had a bad month. And, you know, you look at that appearance against the Mariners, again, six earned runs and one out. That was the only appearance for Nick Vespi this season in the big leagues where he gave up more than one run. His season was really better than what the stats show, and that's what can happen to a reliever, especially a guy who didn't spend the entire year in the big league bullpen, who was going back and forth. One blow-up appearance like that can kind of wreck your stats. Now, what Vespi's stats looked like in the bigs at the end of the year was 25 appearances at the big league level. And in 26 and a third innings, he had a 4.10 ERA with a 4.48 FIP. And, you know, he was more so a fly ball pitcher than a ground ball pitcher on the year in terms of strikeouts and walks. He had a 25% strikeout rate above league average, had a 7% walk rate below league average, so he was solid on both those fronts. Now, opponents did hit 282 against Vespi on the season with a 343 BABIP on the year as well, but generally he was a productive reliever. But again, if you take out that one appearance against Seattle where he recorded one out and allowed six earned runs, again, he had 24 other appearances where he either gave up no runs or one run on the season, just that one that was six runs. If you take that out for Nick Vespi, he has 26 innings of work on the year with a 2.08 ERA. Now, again, you can't just cherry pick and take outings out of there, but it's one blow up bad outing. You know, he was less than a month into his big league career. It's understandable that it's going to happen against a playoff team in the Mariners. You take that out. Again, 26 innings, a 208 ERA. That's solid for a kind of, you know, Norfolk shuttle reliever. You will take that every day of the week. Now, what was so interesting about Nick Vespi this year is that when he went down to AAA, he was untouchable. He did not allow an earned run in AAA Norfolk this year. Again, he pitched 26 and a third innings in the big leagues. And he ended up pitching 28 and two-thirds innings in AAA. So basically kind of split his season between Norfolk and Baltimore. In Norfolk this year, 28 and two-thirds innings, Nick Vespi did not allow an earned run. He had a 0.00 ERA on the season. He allowed just 12 hits in his time in Norfolk, 36 strikeouts to just five walks in those 28 and two-thirds innings with the Tides, including eight saves at the AAA level this year. He was just ridiculous in AAA, and what he showed you is that Nick Vespi is clearly too good for the AAA level, and so if you're going to keep him around, he's got to be in the big leagues, because AAA hitters just literally could not challenge him this season, but when he was in the bigs, it was a little up and down, but generally, again, you take out that one appearance with the six runs and a 208 ERA. Now, the other interesting part about Nick Vespi this year 
is that despite being a left-handed reliever, and generally left-handed relievers in the big leagues are going to pitch better against left-handed hitters. That was not the case for Nick Vespi. Right-handed batters hit 218 against Vespi in the big leagues this year. Lefties hit 362 against him. Let me say that again. 218 right-handed batters, 362 left-handed batters for a left-handed pitcher. That's almost unheard of in the big leagues. Now, his strikeout rate was a little bit higher against lefties, so he had more Ks against lefties. But overall, you know, he was getting soft contact against righties, jamming them in with that cutting fastball and that slider, while the lefties were kind of just sitting on him and hitting the ball hard. So as you look forward for Nick Vespi and you see what the stuff is, and, you know, Baseball Savant and StatCast, they continue to identify his fastball as a four-seam fastball, but Vespi has talked about it time and time again. It's basically maybe not fully a cutter, but it's a four-seam fastball with a lot of natural cut action. That is what he throws, and that's why, despite the fact that his fastball averages 88.5 miles per hour for a reliever, not many other relievers in Major League Baseball throw 88 to 89, but because of the cut, that's why he can still have success at the big league level. Now, that was still his worst pitch this year, and opponents hit 341 and slugged 568 against that fastball in the big leagues this season. That is not good at all. But his two secondary pitches, the slider and the curveball, were able to save him throughout the year. The slider had a 35% whiff rate, which is pretty great. That was the best of any of his three pitches. And the curveball had a 33% whiff rate, and opponents only hit 176 against his curveball this year. And he got a lot of righties out with that pitch. So you would think a guy like Nick Vespi, who, you know, struggles with the four-seamer, you know, hey, maybe you want to turn into more of a sinker, or hey, maybe you want to add a change-up to get the righties out. But he was so good at getting the righties out, and I believe he can get better at getting lefties out, that, you know, he could jam those righties with that cutter and pitch to their back foot with the slider. And it's easier for a lefty to figure out how to get lefties out than to figure out how to get righties out. So if he can do that this offseason and find that pitch that's going to get the left-handers, whether he revamps his fastball a little bit or, you know, he, he just changes the tilt of his slider a little to get more left-handers out, he's going to be a piece for this Orioles team next year. And again, you know, just being his first big league season, you know, he's now 27 years old, but the Orioles have a lot of control over him. And again, his ceiling is stunted because, you know, on a max effort pitch, he's only going to throw about 90 miles per hour on that fastball. And that's going to stunt your growth as a big league reliever when you're already 27. But can he fill out a solid middle relief role in the Orioles bullpen? 100% he can. Can he basically slide into the Joey Crable role next year? I think that's pretty much where I would slot him right here as, you know, we, we head into the offseason a couple months from spring training. I think specifically Crable, who was a right-hander who actually got lefties out at a better clip but get both sides of the plate out. For Vespi, who's a reverse splits guy, I think Crable's days may be numbered with the Orioles because he was so bad down the stretch and actually finished the year in AAA. I think Vespi could just come up and replace Joey Crable in that role. You know, you have more team control over Nick Vespi. He's obviously very cheap. And he's getting righties out from the left side. And I think he's going to figure out how to get lefties out at a higher clip, which is going to make him a valuable reliever in the big leagues next year. So the Orioles, I think, can thank their lucky stars that that Rule 5 draft was canceled last year because some other team would have taken him and would have kept him in the big leagues. And he would have no longer been an Oriole. But now Vespi is here. And again, he's not going to be the closer. He's not going to be pitching in the eighth inning. But he can help the Oriole bullpen. 
And I think he's got, you know, it's going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of guys vying for bullpen spots in spring training, but he's got a real good shot to win a bullpen job on opening day of next year. But the other lefty we're going to talk about in this episode did not fare so well down the stretch and frankly is not in nearly as good a position heading into 2023. That is Bruce Zimmerman, who had one of the weirder seasons we've seen in a while. He was looking like an ace for the first six weeks of the year, and then everything, and I mean everything, fell apart for the local kids. So coming up next, we're going to talk about what happened to Bruce Zimmerman and how he can possibly find the flat-out dominance that we saw from him in his first six starts of the season. But first, today's episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is brought to you by Simply Safe. Now, Simply Safe, the number one option for home protection out there. Now, the great thing about Simply Safe is that they have people on call 24-7 to answer any of your signals and dispatch police or whomever you need to your home at any time. That is really the best part of Simply Safe is that it's that 24-7 protection that they can offer you. And they also have an outstanding app. They make things easy for protecting your home in 2022, whether it's cameras inside or outside the house that you can control and look at right from your phone, or it's just the ability to turn that safety system on right from your phone. Simply Safe has everything that you could possibly need in a home security system. So for Simply Safe, that's where you got to go. And in an emergency, they've got that 24-7 professional monitoring. So don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system that we recommend here at Locked On Orioles. Get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. This is their biggest discount of the year, so don't wait. That's simplysafe.com slash locked on MLB. There's no safe like Simply Safe. So we just chatted about the season Nick Vespi had out of the Orioles bullpen, how, you know, it was maybe a little rough early at times, but he finished strong and is in a good spot heading into next year. You can't say the same for the other lefty we're going to talk about, and that is Bruce Zimmerman, because it would probably take much more time than I have here on this podcast episode to dive into what exactly happened to Bruce this year. But let's try to at least get you the cliff notes on what the heck happened to Bruce Zimmerman. So he comes into the year after just a really weird 2021. When he was on the mound last year, I thought the stuff looked good. He was solid. He had some quality starts. He was really helping the Orioles early in the 2021 season. Well, then he has kind of a tricep injury. He goes down as he's rehabbing and working out to get back from that injury. He ends up with a foot injury in the training room. And basically, they just had to shut him down for almost the entirety of the season. He came back right at the end there. But it was basically a lost second half of 2021. But he comes into this year. He comes in healthy. He makes the team out of spring training, earns a spot in the starting rotation, starts the home opener for a local kid from Ellicott City. That game against the Brewers, what a great moment that was. And he just dominates early in the year. Zimmerman, his first four starts, he had a 2-3-3 ERA in April. He did not allow a hit on either of his breaking balls, the slider or the curveball, in the month of April. And he was dominating. And through his first seven starts, he looked like the ace that the Orioles needed 
after John Means went down. Remember, Means, after two starts, goes down, has to get Tommy John surgery out for the rest of the year. And you watch Bruce Zimmerman pitch, and you thought, this is kind of John Means' light. He throws some of the same stuff. He works in a similar way. And he was pitching with similar effectiveness. Through his first seven starts of the year, Zimmerman had a 2.72 ERA. In 36 and a third innings, he had struck out 32 batters, walked just nine. He'd only allowed three home runs and kind of capped it off. There was a start against Detroit on May 14th where he went six innings and allowed just two runs. And we thought, well, this is going to continue. It's been seven great starts. Here we go. And then five days later, he got hit around a little bit. You're thinking, okay, Bruce Zimmerman doesn't have the greatest stuff in the world. He was due for a bad start. Let's see if he can rebound. Then the next start, he gets hit around. And the next start, he gets hit around. And all of a sudden, it becomes after seven straight great starts, it's six consecutive abysmal starts for Bruce Zimmerman through May and June. And in those six starts, he posts a 9.79 ERA. In 30 and a third innings, again, over six starts, he strikes out only 14 batters. Now, he only walked two batters in 30 and a third innings, but he probably should have walked a few more because Zimmerman allowed 15 home runs in 30 and a third innings. 15 homers in six starts. He was literally allowing a home run every other inning he pitched. That's going to spell bad, bad things. And we were just trying to find out what was happening. Like all three of his starts in June, he allowed 10 plus hits in all three of them, got shellacked by three different teams. And finally, after that final start on June 15th, where he got mauled again, the Orioles sent him down to AAA Norfolk. You know, just two months after he was looking like the Orioles' ace, he was in AAA. And we were trying to figure out what was going on. Now, in those final three starts in June, Zimmerman had actually changed something up. He felt like he was tipping his pitches. And because of that, he changed his delivery slightly. He would usually have his hands at his belt, kind of right in the middle when he would go set. Instead, he put his hands kind of behind his hip a little bit and turned his glove a little bit more as to hide the ball from any potential runner on second base because he thought he was kind of showing them the ball too often and they were relaying signs and he was tipping his pitches. So he changed that in his delivery a little bit and things just got worse. So he went down to AAA and basically the wording from the Orioles was not so much this is performance-based, but this is more Bruce wants to change something. We're going to give him more time and space to change it in AAA, and then we'll see him back here in the rotation later in the year. And, and I thought that was going to be the case because he had been so good for seven starts. But then he went down to AAA, and although things got better than they were in those last six starts in the bigs, they still weren't good, and he was still giving up homers. And although he was using the new delivery, stuff wasn't looking great. And, and you know, what you had seen in those last six starts in the bigs is just – you know, the fastball, which had always been terrible, and I continued to beat the drum of Bruce. You need to throw your off speeds more. More changeups, more sliders, more curveballs. Those are your best pitches. But he kept throwing that four-seam fastball, and that thing kept getting annihilated. I mean, there were months where guys were hitting over 500 against Bruce's four-seamer. So the four-seamer kept getting demolished. He went away from it. And then the big issue became, again, he didn't allow a hit on a breaking ball in April. Well, the slider started to get hit. It wasn't moving as much, wasn't as crisp, and it started to get hit. So the only pitch Bruce could rely on was his changeup. Now, his changeup in general was probably his best pitch. So you thought maybe it's okay that this is still his only good pitch. But when it was the only pitch he could rely on to throw a quality strike, guys were just sitting on the changeup 
and blasting it. And then he said, okay, I can't just throw changeups. I got to throw fastballs. And then they would hit those out of the ballpark as well. And it was just a vicious cycle for Bruce Zimmerman. So he goes to AAA. And again, things got much better in AAA. But he ends up down there way longer than we thought. And he basically spent the rest of the year in AAA Norfolk. He only made two more appearances in the big leagues this season after getting sent down on June 15th. He came back up on July 9th. The Orioles needed a fresh arm in the bullpen, potentially for long relief. It was in a game against the Angels on a Sunday, and it was part of the O's 10-game winning streak. Bruce led a couple of runners on, got a big double play, pitched a scoreless sixth inning. That was the only thing he did. Then he goes back down to AAA, and we don't see him again until September 5th. He gets called up to be the 29th man in the Orioles' doubleheader that day at Camden Yards against the Blue Jays, was basically there for insurance for Jordan Lyles because we weren't sure, remember, if Lyles was going to start that second game. He ended up having to get scratched. Keegan Aiken started and, and pitched okay in that game, but Zimmerman came in for long relief and got hammered, just gave up more homers. He did eat it for the team, wore it for the team, which was was good for the bullpen moving forward. He threw six innings in relief and finished off the game, but allowed five runs on eight hits, including three home runs. And that was the only other time we saw him in the big leagues for the rest of the year. And again, as I said, it went better in AAA. He threw 76 in the third innings for the Norfolk Tides and had a 3.77 ERA. The home runs went down, the strikeouts went back up. So that was good at least. But it wasn't good enough to get him back to the big leagues. And for a team that, granted, was pitching great, and Kyle Bradish was rolling at that point, Dean Kramer was rolling, and Tyler Wells was getting guys out, and you had Jordan Lyles eating innings. But for a team that was without John Means, they were missing Kyle Bradish for a stretch. As we talked about on yesterday's episode, they were missing Tyler Wells for a long chunk. And basically Spencer Watkins, who was pitching way over his head for most of the year, lost everything, you know, in late August, and then was sent down to AAA as well. So you had some openings, and then with Grayson Rodriguez injured, and with the Orioles not quite wanting to put D.L. Hall in the rotation, instead putting him in the bullpen, there was a spot to be had for Bruce Zimmerman back in the rotation late in the year if the O's thought he could handle it, and they clearly did not, only giving him two more appearances in the bigs for the rest of the year. So even though things got better in AAA, he settled into the new windup, the new set position. He got more strikeouts, less homers. The stuff was looking good and he was still throwing strikes. You have to look at it and say, the Orioles didn't even trust him when they were down some starting pitchers. You know, when even Mike Bauman came up to start some games at the end of the year and, you know, they were turning to some different guys and they weren't named Bruce Zimmerman. And you started to worry a little bit about, you know, will he get back to Baltimore? And, and you know, he's a, he's a strike thrower, and the changeup still looks good, and I still believe in the breaking stuff. He's got to fix the fastball. You know, he started trying to throw more of a sinker than a four-seamer. That was something that, that Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer both did this year, and Zimmerman kind of tried to do the same thing. Hopefully he continues that throughout the offseason because his four-seamer is just abysmal. He needs to abandon that pitch at all costs. So maybe he can still be a factor. But when you look at this Orioles offseason and you look at the potential for them to really add talent, whether it's in free agency or in trades and get better, not just in starting pitching, but across the roster, these 40-man roster spots are going to be precious. And I talked about on Monday's episode, which was the ultimate Orioles offseason preview. Make sure to go check that one out on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I talked about how, you know, there's some guys who are probably going to get DFA'd soon, a couple of guys who are easy choices to free up 40-man spots. 
But after I named off kind of the easy choices, the next guys who I was like, ah, this could happen, kind of included, you know, the Joey Crables, the the Yusniel Diaz's of the world, and it included Bruce Zimmerman. Because while I don't think the Orioles would be, you know, quick to DFA him early in the offseason, if they keep adding talent and they really need to add some prospects to the 40-man to protect them from the Rule 5 draft, and it's getting tighter and tighter, that squeeze on the 40-man, there's a scenario where Bruce Zimmerman is DFA'd this offseason. I don't think it's out of the question at all, and I want him to stick around. He seems like a great guy. It's awesome that you know he's from the area and is pitching for the Baltimore Orioles after getting traded over here in the Kevin Gaussman deal from Atlanta at the 2018 deadline. But if he's going to be closer to the pitcher we saw giving up a million homers than the pitcher we saw dominate early in the year, there's just not going to be a spot for him, especially as this team really looks to compete for the playoffs in 2023. So do I think Zimmerman has a legitimate role with the 2023 Orioles? At this point, I don't. And I am a little worried that he may not even be in this organization by the time we get to spring training. But speaking of starting pitching, the Orioles, of course, uh, are going to look for it in free agency, which does start tomorrow, Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And there was one little rumor connecting the Orioles to a starting pitcher that I saw this week that I wanted to chat about coming up next to finish off the pod. So free agency, you know, as you're listening to this potentially on Wednesday, it starts tomorrow, Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, free agency opens up. Now, in terms of Orioles starting pitching, we are still waiting at this point as I record here at about 8 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday night. We are still waiting for the Orioles to make their decision on whether they're going to pick up or decline Jordan Lyle's team option for 2023. And that's going to, you know, really impact how they work with some of the starting pitching and who they're bringing in, but they're still going to go after guys in free agency. And did see the O's connected to Ross Stripling on Tuesday night. Now, again, this came from the MLB executive burner account. They've gotten some things right. They've gotten some things wrong in the past, but it's nice to at least see the Orioles connected to a name. And Ross Stripling, he really did have a, a great year with the Orioles or with the Blue Jays, I should say. Hopefully it will be with the Orioles, but with the Blue Jays in 2022. Now, he's going to turn 33 in a couple of days, so he'll be a 33-year-old next year. And the right-hander had a great year in Toronto. 32 appearances, 24 starts. He spent most of the year in the rotation. Now, there were some times when the Blue Jays were fully healthy, when they had Hunjin Ryu, when Barrios was pitching better, and when Kikuchi was pitching better, that Stripling did pitch as kind of a swingman out of the bullpen, which he's done in the past with the Dodgers, too. But 32 appearances, 24 starts. Stripling had a 3.01 ERA in 134 and a third innings for the Blue Jays this year. You will take that. And to go along with a 3.11 FIP, it was not a mirage. He really pitched well. He had a 21% strikeout rate, which was right around league average, but a 3% walk rate well below the league average did not walk anybody this season. And he kind of had a rough start to the year, was okay in April, was really bad in May, but then June came and he just took off. He had multiple months down the stretch where he had a sub-2 ERA. He's a five-pitch pitcher. You know, He's got the fastball, changeup, slider, curveball, and sinker, and he's got a couple of offerings that are really, really dominant. His changeup, opponents hit just 203 against it, and his slider this year, opponents hit just 212 against it and slug just 248, and that was a year after Stripling slider was his worst pitch in 2021. Opponents hit 306 against his slider last year. 
He tightened it up, got more movement on that thing, and it became his number one off speed at times in 2022. Plus, you add in a fastball that you know is is above average velo, and he has that big overhand 12-6 curveball to go with it. I think a 33-year-old Ross Stripling on you know some sort of of two-year, 20 to 25 million dollar deal would be a great addition to the Orioles' rotation. You know, you get him for maybe his last couple years of really pitching at this level, a guy who's been around, has pitched in the World Series with the Dodgers before he came over to Toronto, I think would be a great veteran help. You know, he's basically the same age as Jordan Lyles, so it would be a great veteran help to the Orioles' rotation like Lyles was, but would be much better than Jordan Lyles. Ross Stripling kind of seems to me like the perfect addition. Now, not the main addition the O's make to the rotation this offseason, but the perfect kind of supplemental addition. And I would not be mad at all if they ended up signing Ross Stripling. And hey, that'd be a nice way to start free agency on Thursday, bringing in Ross Stripling. But again, free agency does start on Thursday, but we still got another podcast coming to you on Thursday morning. Back with you tomorrow. If we get Jordan Lyles option news, that's what we'll talk about Thursday. If we don't, we're going to take a look at the season for Cedric Mullins because after the All-Star 30-30 campaign in 2021, yeah, maybe he was a little disappointing. Didn't reach those heights in 2022. But we'll tell you in tomorrow's episode why he was still a really good ball player for the Orioles this season. But again, that's coming up tomorrow. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.